It's just another podcast. Gonna be picking it out. Yes, another podcast. Gonna be picking it out. No telling what kind of shit we're gonna talk about. Yeah, we got the WWE Hardcore Champion Hall of Famer in the house. Yeah, we're gonna be picking it out. Hey, y'all. Well, my name is Andrew Pope. I appreciate y'all tuning in to Picking It Out once again. Uh, man, we're going to have some fun this week. We got this this old guy sitting down in Florida, I think. Uh, but he's, he's, a, he's a good old Loki. Man, this guy's been everywhere and done everything. and uh, He's in the WWE Hall of Fame uh just living legend when it comes to sports entertainment and the wrestling business yeah mr gerald briscoe what's going on man hey brother man i i enjoyed that uh intro there i enjoyed that pick in there <laughs> i i thought i'd reach over and get me a bottle of uh of jack over here you know and I, I tell don't. you, I tell you, who'd be excited right now if he's sitting here with me, old Paul Bear, man. He he, lo- he loves just sit around and listen to somebody pick like that, you know. He was from Alabama, wasn't he? Yeah, he's from Mobile. He's Mobile, born and bred, man. He did true and true that time, <laughs> I didn't know that for a long time, and I remember seeing it. May have been some kind of WWE produced film or something. I remember seeing seeing that. Uh, yeah. He was from Alabama. Yeah, yeah, he was proud, man. He, I mean, he never let you forget, you know, uh, Mobile. I mean, and you pass through Mobile, you know, as a wrestler. If you, you change the territory back in the day, we when we used to have to travel a lot and we have to what we call territories, you know. Oh, yeah. Guys would pass through Mobile. And, and boy, if, if you pass through Mobile and and Percy, we called him Percy at the time. I said to called him Percy all of, all of his career, even when he was PB, uh, PB or Percy. And, uh, and if he ever heard you pass through there without looking him up, man, he was upset. Man, that was a hot spot, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, Mobile was a fun spot to work, man. And I, as, as you and I was chatting a little bit off the air, some of those towns in Alabama, man, if you were one of those bad guys, brother, you had to fight to get out of those arenas because you, you guys up there, man, you, you, you took your, you took your homeboys seriously. I mean, you know, you get a ring, gets a uh, bullet, Bob Armstrong or some oh, yeah. guys like that. You uh-huh. get a little uh, aggressive on them. You look out in that crowd, man. We didn't have those six foot barriers like they have now <laughs> for protection. You know, it was right up against the damn rope, man. You didn't know what was coming at you. Hey, it don't matter who it is. All it would take for you, just take their arm and just crack a couple of bones. No matter who <laughs> it is, man. I've done heard the stories. 
Uh, you know, <laughs> partly truth and partly fiction. <laughs> Man, uh, back in them territory days, I, I just feel like you have seen some legendary musical people in your life on the road. Uh, who is the by far like the best concert you ever went to or experience you had with Willie or Waylon or something like that? Well, you mentioned two of my favorites there, but I, I tell you, you know, you know, growing up in Oklahoma and rural Oklahoma, you know, you, 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 we only had like a couple of stations to listen to out there in Blackwell, Oklahoma, right on the Kansas border, you know. We get WSM from uh, Nashville, Nashville, of course. Mm-hmm. Then we get uh, MOX from uh, from St. Louis. And then we get uh, Wolfman Jack from El Paso, Texas. You know. But crazy our, our preference was at uh, WSM and the Grand Ole Opry music. And yes, sir. I go way back, you know, my 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 grandpa, of course, Hank Sr., uh, you know, he, he was he was he was always a big fan of him, but I grew up on uh, Little Jimmy Dickens, you know, uh, Webb Pierce, Roy Acuff, and 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 all, all the original uh, Opry Opry guys there, and uh, and uh, you know my my first really fascination with with country music was uh, a lot a lot of people probably even YouTube bluegrass, you know, uh, listening to some old Lester Flat and Earl Scruggs and Bill Monroe, you know, and all those guys. Well, man, I, I I go on and I, you know, well, you start me anytime you want to, because I get to the point where I ramble sometimes, but you hey, know, you I, watch watch that, I watch that damn Ken Burns thing, you know, Legend of Country Music. Oh, was that not something? It was something, but I was disappointed. You know, I'm a, I'm a Western swing and Hank Thompson, you know, I was, you know, they, they Bob Wills is still the king, but you know, Hank Thompson, Oklahoma Hills and, you know, uh, oh, yeah. six pack to go. To and go, yeah. Classics like that. Hank, Hank Thompson was, was him and Buck Orange was really the first two country music led and superstars that I ever became friends with. And, it, it, you know, with, with, with Hank, I mean, he, he was at the point in his career where he, you know, he had, he had hit the big time, you know, then, it, you know, you have, you have those little valleys and, and when you have those valleys or you're playing those real small venues, so places around Oklahoma, we had Hank Thompson, you know, all the time. It seemed like every Friday or Saturday night, you could, he would lick that thumb and head out to head out and catch catch a concert by by old Hank, yeah. Yeah, they kinda they left a lot out of that. Uh it was really in depth and I mean, as far as country music documentaries, probably the most by far the most in depth, you know, full picture documentary going back to the Carter family and, and even before that that you can get. But they did kind of leave some stuff out yeah they there, they, they left some gaps and especially for us you know as diehard fans you know we have we all have our favorites and if your favorite gets left out it's not everything you want it to be but yeah. if you look at the broad picture of it it's like it's like doing a, a, a documentary on wrestling you know i mean you grew up in alabama so you got your favorite guys in alabama i grew up in oklahoma you know i had my favorite guys out there the people who grew up here in florida or carolinas or michigan or you know anywhere they always had their favorite. So if a doc comes out and they happen to leave me out, you know, the people in Florida and the South are going to get upset, you know, but the people up North, as long as they include uh, 
Burgundy or something like that, you know, they're happy with it. So it, it, it's all relative, but, you know, Ken Burns, he did a hell of a job. But, you know, going back to uh, my, my, my breaking in with country music, some of the first concerts, like I said, were Hank Thompson concerts. I remember a concert when I was uh, 14 years old, and uh, I wasn't supposed to be there. It was at Oklahoma State University in the Student Union. Well, I knew, you know, being uh, growing up in Stillwater, my brother was a student at Oklahoma State. I knew all the ins and outs of getting in that student unit. They had a fire escape that led right up to the ballroom. Me and a couple of buddies climbed up that damn fire, uh, fire escape. Jerry Lee Lewis and Great Balls of Fire was playing that. Oh, hell yeah. Man, oh man, he burned that damn uh, that, that piano down and those student little cowboys were going crazy there. And, you know, we're on the outside of that uh, far uh, uh, escape thing. We're, we're, you know, rocking around out there, about four of us out there. Pretty soon the campus police, we see these flashlights. <laughs> we're making too much noise <laughs> out there. The band, band happened to turn around and see these crazy guys out there on the damn fire escape. So, here comes the campus police. We're high school kids now, mind, you know. So they pull us down off the damn fire escape. They say, boys, you guys got to get out of here. You're not old enough to be here. You know, this music is not for you. You're too young. Jerry Lee Lewis, come on. <laughs> so, you know, I, I got broke in early. Then I go see old Hank Thompson. Then it, got, it got to the point where, where Jack was so familiar with Hank. He went to this concert one time in a little place called Enid, Oklahoma. Well, you know, you're a country boy, you have blue jeans on. You're going to see Hank Thompson, you got blue jeans on, you know? Yeah. So for that night, for some reason, it's a fancy ballroom, bamboo ballroom. You might even play their bamboo club in Aiden, Oklahoma, you know? Uh, kids, you got to have dress pants on to go in here. I don't have <laughs> any dress pants. And so somebody sent word to Hank Thompson there because Jack was, you know, already a sorry. He was a national champion in Oklahoma State. Jack Briscoe, and they won't let him in. Well, Hank went and got a member of his uh, his band, had him come out and give Jack a pair of slacks so he could come <laughs> into the <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. So we got to be real close with Hank, and I used to, I mean, you know, when he was on that on that side down when he was getting up there at age, you know, would be traveling through Georgia and Alabama and some of those southern towns. Just out, you know, and we, we, the reason we, I think we we're always so close to country music related to them, we made the damn same stops that the country guys made. You know? Yeah. And so we'd run into each other a lot, just accidentally on the road, you know. That's how I got to become friends with old, oh, that guy, you got a t shirt on there, Bo Cephas, you know. He got, he got to the point where he wouldn't even take my call. He was so afraid to party with me and Flair and uh, Jack, you know. <laughs> We ran, we ran the rowdy guy on down. <laughs> but man. the same with old Buck Orange, man. We used to go see Buck Orange at the at the Diamond Ballroom there in Oklahoma City, and old Trianon Ballroom back before it closed down. And of course, the Canes Ballroom was the main place we used to go over there and watch. Uh, oh yeah, watch all of our favorites. I believe the Canes is still operating too. It it was before COVID. I don't know if it still is or not. It took a lot of them out, but. Yeah, that place was. I've never played there, but I got a lot of buddies that have. Yeah, it, it's an iconic place. But that, that that's the thing, you know. We played a lot of the same towns, so you're you're in a hotel. You're not many hotels, but it wasn't back in those days. There wasn't a lot of hotels, you know, that that were fit to stay at, you know. So uh, 
we'd be lucky. We'd see with the band tour bus. Hey man, let's say here, you know, and go yeah. in the bar. Of course, you know, some of the road uh, backup guys or road gang would be in there. And, you know, pretty soon here comes all the stars in and, and we're, we're closing the damn bars down. <laughs> well, you mentioned Bo Cephas, so you got to have a story or two about him. Uh, I, I got to hear that. Well, we were, we were, as a matter of fact, it took place right here in Tampa, Florida on, on, a, on, a, on a New Year's Eve. I mean, uh, oh, I'm not going to tell I'm on My wife's in here. She just walked by, and she's our, our, our wedding night. Now, you'll like this. <laughs> now, wedding night. Hank William Jr. is playing in Tampa Theater. So what are you going to do on your wedding night? My brother, my brother said, "I got your wedding uh, wedding present, Jim Marvin. Well, I got four tickets to so see uh, Hank Jr. tonight at the Tampa Theater. I mean, we got married in a little country place right up the road here, Dade City. And so we came home, changed clothes, and we headed downtown Tampa, man, the Tampa Theater. So here, my wife and my sister-in-law, my brother's wife, they're they're sitting out there. So Hank Jr. invites us to, in the back to celebrate and give us a shot of tequila. You know, well, that one shot of tequila turned into another shot of tequila and another shot of tequila. And before you know it, they're banging on that damn bus door. Junior, you got to go on. It's time to go on. I'll be out there in a minute. Tell Ben I'll be out there in a minute. And about an hour and a half later, he finally made it out <laughs> on the stage. And how he got through that show, you all never know, but. My wife still gives me grief about, you know, we're spending, and I'm drunk on tequila. I come home and I'll pass out on a wedding night, you know. And, uh, I'm a real heel when it comes to that. But I, I, got, I got so many stories. The night my son was born, I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, and John Anderson. Yeah. I met John Anderson for the first time, and I didn't know John Anderson was a Florida boy. Mm-hmm. You know, Pocket, Florida, right there by Orlando, where my brother and I are big stars. And I, I, I first met John's brother. I think he was playing the drums or the bass or something like that for John at the time. So he recognized me, and I saw him whispering to each other. They were doing the first set, whispering to each other up on the stage and kind of looking over my direction. My son was just born, and I told my wife, I'm going to go home, change clothes, and I'll be back at the hospital you know, <laughs> later <laughs> on. You know. So, uh, uh you know, here it. I go. So I see them. And so they walk by taking a break to go out for the uh, uh, first set and come back. And and I, I and here comes John's brother over. He said, John, I'll see you out on the bus. Okay. So uh, it, it's a little bit calmer this time. So we got on the bus, you know, we, we start BS. And he's telling me about when him and his brother were kids. They used to pretend to be the Briscoe brothers and put the figure four leg lock on each other. Oh. And used to sneak into Eddie Graham uh, Sports Complex. So they wouldn't they'd have enough money to buy two tickets. So one of them buy a ticket and do the old heel thing, you know, and sneak the other ticket out and, and come back in over with, with, the, with the other brother there. I said, well, just so you won't feel too bad, I got it free here tonight, too. <laughs> so we I love John. And John was a professional, though. John John wasn't the big star at Hank well, Jr. Well, he couldn't ignore those knocks on the door, you know. So <laughs> he, said, he said, do me a favor. He said, I got I got this bottle of Corvo right here. He said, I'm going to do my last set. He said, it, you'd really be be a hero if you stay and just meet meet." Meet the band, beat everybody when when we when we finish off tonight and finish this bottle 
of Cuervo. I said, you got a deal, man. So, so, you know, he goes on to say, Mo, Mike Rotondo, well, YRS was there with me. He was there celebrating with me. And uh, they were at the Palomino Club, I think it is, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Big old place, and it was packed. And John comes out. John was hot with that old swing and just a swing. And, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. And so uh, he swung a little bit, and, you know, he finished that damn concert out, and, you know, made the announcement about me being a new father and all that stuff. And he finished up his, his, his gig there. We went in the back and got on that bus, man, uh, pulled all the curtain down, and all of a sudden I hear some knocks on the door. Guys, we're gonna have to get on, and they rose that raise up the damn sons up, man. They, they got to head on up to Raleigh, you know. Now I got to go to the hospital and explain to my wife. <laughs> but you know what? She's a good Carolina girl, and she understood. Hey, I was gonna say she must have saw something in you. Yeah, or either she was drunk too. <laughs> yeah, uh, with what are the other? <laughs> oh man, you know those days, man. I, I've I've told people a bunch. I feel like I was born before my birthday. You know, I just, uh, I wish I'd live back in that time. Uh, it's, you can't get away with that shit no more. You no. know, it was all innocent. You know, I mean, nobody got killed. Well, if I got killed, I mean, nobody knew about it. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it just, it was, it, nowadays you can't do nothing. You can't do nothing. I, that's what I feel for these guys, you know, because you, you make your friendship, you make that camaraderie stuff on the road, you know, doing these hard-ass gigs, you know, making 35 bucks, you know, exactly. making nothing, you know, getting in your car and you got $5, you need $10 worth of gasoline. You know? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, we all, we all been through it. And I think that's the reason, you know, our, our businesses just relate so well to each other because, there were such hard times for everybody. I mean, not even the big stars. I mean, they all went through that at the, in those times today. Nowadays, you know, they sign a damn guaranteed contract or they sign with a damn record label, you know, and, and they hadn't even spun their first tune yet or taken their first bump yet on my end. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of times, them ones that sign them record labels get this big old advance that they end up having to pay back, and that's all they ever get from it because they get dropped or some crap like that that happens all the time does it uh, what do they just give them a big advance and, and then they're stuck forever huh yeah one hit hundred wonders baby that basically either that or they shelved their their record they made that they yeah. had to pay for with the advance wow. yeah. no, that's, <laughs> that's I, you know you read all these horror stories about the recording our artists you know that you know wrote all these wonderful songs and everything and they, they, they never made a dime off of them because of the deals and you know we had the same type things in wrestling with the damn crooked ass promoters you know yeah we had one up in tennessee old nick goulas he was famous i don't know if you ever heard of him he got the goulas promotion up there yeah and he was a rottenest damn payoff guy in the world did a little, little quick story he, he not only drove my brother out of the business when he first started you 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 probably heard it too. You know, kid, if you want to be a star, you got to get away from home. You can't you can't play here. You know, you can't work here in your hometown and be a star. You know, yeah. you got to travel. So Jack had heard all that from everybody else, Buttony Monroe's and all these guys passing from Tennessee, Alabama, out to Oklahoma. So he went to Leroy McGurk. He said, "Can you book me out?" So uh, he called a couple places. Couldn't get him booked in Dallas for Fritz. Couldn't get him booked up in uh, Kansas City for for a guy or whoever it was. So he called Nick Goulas. 
he, and Leroy come to Jack. Jack, I got you uh, booked in uh, Tennessee for Nick Goulas. You start on such and such date. Jack had, you know, just got out of college. He had a wife and three kids and all. That's the reason he left college a year early. And so he got in his old Pontiac and uh, it's like Don William by left Oklahoma driving in a Pontiac, you know. About to lose my mind. <laughs> yeah, about to lose my mind. So he drove in Nick Goulas's territory and uh, and he was working there. You know, Nick was one of those guys that pay in a pay envelope every night and he opened up an envelope and it'd be $7.75 in there. I come up with 75 cents. Who knows? <laughs> but, he, you know. yeah. uh, but that was your percentage, you know, and so... You know, he wasn't making any money, in other words, and, you know, trying to send money home to, to his wife and kids. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said, he had this old Pontiac he'd bought in school for, you know, $7,525, whatever. He was driving one night in a big rainstorm, one of those damn uh, hillsides decided to give away when he drove by it. Damn boulder fell down on the engine of that Pontiac, totaled it out. Oh man. Lucky he wasn't killed. I'm mean, lucky that officer told him if that had been another foot, it would have landed on that rooftop and you'd been smashed underneath that rock, you know. So good guy called uh, uh 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 Nick and wanted some money to you know to fix his car and he wouldn't give him any money. So Jack saw I think it was a guy by the name of uh of uh McCarthy, Tiger Joe McCarthy, yeah, Lone Jack. $25, Jack went down to Greyhound bus station and bought a damn ticket to come back to Oklahoma and said, that's it, I'm quitting, quitting wrestling, I'm going to go into coaching, I'm going to get my degree and finish, finish school and go into coaching. Well, about that time, he got a break, and Fritz Von Erich had called him and wanted him to go down to Texas. As soon as he got to Texas, the, the promoter from Australia called him and said, Jack, I'll pay you a pretty good bundle of money at that time. I think it was around $700 a week to to come down to Australia for three months and then, you know, work for me down here. So Jack jumped at that opportunity and took off down there. But yeah, that experience in Tennessee just about drove my brother out of the business. Man. I mean, there's, there's, you know, we got promoters like that too. Uh, shit. I got paid in brownies before. And brownies. I hope they, I hope they were baking <laughs> something special there. <laughs> well, they look like them as in Virginia, uh, Ashland, Virginia. And I was on a big tour. I went to Philadelphia and everything, and it was just me driving out there doing acoustic stuff. And the place is real cool. At the end of the night, I mean, the sound was great and everything. I mean, everything was good. And then at the end of the night, they said, well, we don't really we don't really have any left over from, you know, the bar didn't quite do what we was expecting, but... You know, before we closed the kitchen 30 minutes ago, he made you some brownies. Chef made you some brownies. Uh, well, I was down nice of him. Thank you. Was you hungry? <laughs> and, uh, well, I I was hungry for something. There wasn't that. Uh, but they looked like them gourmet brownies or something. I thought, well, these will be good, you know. Man, they're the blandest things. They didn't even taste good. And I thought, well, hell, that just... Ends up leaving a damn bad taste in your mouth more ways than one, you know. <laughs> so we got that shit too. I mean, it, you know, it's contracts. I mean, hell, if they don't really, they don't really help the situation. Sometimes it don't feel like you fill out a contract and then people still stiff you, you know. Uh, that, that's something different. We, you know, we didn't have contracts until until the corporations came along, you know, and. Uh, 
And then that's when they started offering contracts. But, you know, we we're all free agents. I mean, you we could go wherever we wanted to go. The only, the only, the only rule that we had back, back in my days about coming and going, he had to give the promoter two weeks notice, 14 days that you were leaving his territory. That way he could take you and beat you every damn night of the week <laughs> and twice on TV on Saturday night. So just yeah. beat the hell out of you. So you were a piece of meat. So you were no good anywhere, but it didn't really matter because the only place it was shown was there and you were leaving there, you know, going someplace else. But if you wanted to come back, you always had that stigma against you, you know, and a lot of times, like Jerry the King Lawler, I mean, he was notorious for this shit. He'd bring a big sorry in and he'd beat him. He'd film it. He said, I'm just going to show it here in Memphis. But now Jerry's got this catalog of him beating Hulk Hogan, beating Nick Mock, beating Jack Briscoe, beating Dory Funk, Terry Funk, Harley Rays, Rick Flair. Mm-hmm. And now he's selling that damn thing for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Know? What are you paying those guys 30, 40 bucks to come up and do a damn job for him? So Lawler, Lawler, Lawler's a smart businessman. I've heard that. I've never met Jerry. Never um, met the king, huh? No, I never met him. Never got the never got the chance. Uh if you go to Memphis, man, you gotta go his barbecue joint. I, I haven't been there, but I understand it's a heck of a place and he spends an awful lot of time there. So you you probably go there and you know that he get word that you're in there. He's he's gonna come down and see you and take some photo ops. So. I've uh I've heard that 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 place was pretty good. Uh, yeah. And you from Alabama, you know barbecue when you sit, right? Oh yeah, we got some damn good barbecue. That's one thing Alabama does have a Dreamland barbecue, man. Oh yeah, Dreamland <laughs> and uh, there's the actually Hilltop or what? What's that other place there? Mount, there's uh, a Hilton. There's, uh, there's one in, uh, I can't remember the name of it now. Uh, I actually took, I took Jimmy Hart there. It's in Huntsville. I can't remember the name. It's an old one, but I can't remember the name of it now, man. That place Jimmy is Hart, good. man. I bet you he told you some story. That guy's nonstop, isn't he? Yeah. I'm, I want to try to have him on here. Uh, if he knows how to do zoom or anything. I'm hey. sure he does. Jimmy, Jimmy's pretty advanced for his, his, his old uh, Memphis self. You know, he was a rock and roll star. You know that, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We talked a lot about that that day. Uh, I'd love to have him on here He's because he's kind of music and wrestling, too. You know, he kind of covers the whole thing. Um, man, do you remember the first time you met Vince, uh, how that was was you intimidated? Was he intimidated or? Uh, well, you know, I, I was really fortunate. I, I met Vince when, when he was young and his old man was still going, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I, and I, and I was young and I was, I was, you know, making my way up that ladder and I was in Madison square garden. The old man brought me up Madison square garden back in those days. And it's probably the, probably the same for the country guys uh, going to Nashville or something. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know the magazine were all, of course, you know after and all the guys were all New York based, and it, you know if you wanted any publicity, like I was working in Carolinas and Georgia and Florida, very rarely would 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 those magazines pay for a, a photographer or a writer to come down to those territories and you know interview you. Mm-hmm. And so the promoters knew it's sort of like, and I'll get to the story on Channel 17, Atlanta Super Station a little bit later, but this is pre-day pre chat even. So if you wanted any publicity, 
you had to go to New York and work in Madison Square Garden so you could get all those damn uh, rag magazines, you know, Rising Review and Rising Illustrated to take some pictures of you and then perhaps we get a cover shot or, or at least a, a feature story in a damn magazine. Mm -hmm. So promoters would call Vince Sr. and ask, hey, can I send so-and-so up? And you even had to, the promoter even had to, to pay uh, an opponent to go up there and work with you, you know, because Vince would, that's how stiff it was back in those days. Vince mm. Sr. wouldn't, you know, hey, if you're going to come in and get the publicity, you're going to have to pay your own way. And I mean, <laughs> Vince at least paid you. And he paid you a fair sum out of Madison Square Garden. That was always a good check because we'd have, you know, 16 17,000 people in there so mm -hmm. even even in, in a big car back in those days you got to be a pretty decent payout that's one thing old vent senior he was a good payoff man you know you enjoyed it so i i i vince jr was just starting out at that time too so he was there at the garden show and i met him we're both young and you know we're both you know looking for the same thing at that time and we we kind of hit it off kind of became friends it really wasn't intimidating. His old man was the one that was intimidating because he was my boss at that time for that night. You know, the junior yeah. was just there. Like, he was just a TV guy. And I dealt with boss's son before, and Vince Jr. was just a boss's son at that time. He wasn't, you know, wasn't. But, you know, we liked each other. They used to come for vacation down in Florida. We'd be over Hollywood, Florida. They had a, a house over on Boca, Boca Raton over there. So we'd invite them down to Hollywood or Fort Lauderdale or Miami. We'd book the, the WWF champion in Miami because, you know, all the snowbirds coming down from the north. So we had a good working relationship with, with, with the Mac man. So, uh, so when I, when I, when I started working with him and started creating a deal, uh, my brother, and I started creating a deal to, to sell our territory to uh, to Junior, it wasn't wasn't like it was a an adversary relationship. You know, we'd already formed a, a kind of a, a friendship. You know, not a not a close friendship, but one of those remote type friendship, or it was kind of a more of a respect deal than anything else. Yeah, that's really you know, I never had to go through, and I've seen guys like you say just scared to death even. Past, past the hallway with Vince because he is such an intimidating person. But I never had that type of relationship with him where I was, you know, kind of afraid to approach him or anything like that. You ever have any beers with Vince and y'all go hang out at a country show or anything like that? I can't see him That's doing not that. a country show, but uh, we did talk him into going to a couple of gentlemen's establishments a couple of times, but he was really good on that. But we, it was really, really, he enjoyed, you know, unwinding before everything just blew up to what it is now where you, where you can't, literally, you can't go go out with the guy, you know. Yeah. Some As you know, in your business, some guys, you know, you just can't even go to the hotel bar, you know, everything got to be room service and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Life, you, know, but, you always got them. Yeah, I've been, I've been the them day, before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> back in the days, you know, when, when we were just starting, just starting to build, you know, we could all go into a hotel bar and, you know, kind of have a good time and drink the bar dry and you kind of laugh about it the next day. And Vince was really good at that. I mean, he loved hanging out with sometimes he'd go through. I'm sure there's a story you, you might have heard where he was taking all the guys finishes. I think we we're in Detroit or somewhere like that. And we'd been out hitting a couple of bars. We walk into this one bar. I think Jimmy Hart was probably there. Even I'm surprised Jimmy. 
but he took the uh, leads of the doomed clothesline from hell from the top. One of them was on top of the bar, and he was he was on the shoulders of the other. Uh, that's when he first broke his neck. Oh, <laughs> uh, I bet somebody got pictures. He wanted to show everybody how tough he was, that he could take everybody's finishes with a point to the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> so he was taking everybody in bars finishes. Brad uh, Hart nearly knocked him. Uh, well, he did knock him out one time, but this was pre pre Montreal. He Brad. <laughs> Brett nailed him and uh, and uh, and Vince got wobbly. <laughs> yeah, Vince, Vince was uh, was was a pretty good roadmate for a while until we just got to the point where it just got insane. You know, then then you know then 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 the whole atmosphere for things. But I've seen guys walk down that hallway, like I said, they'd rather go in a broom closet than 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 pass Vince in the hallway. <laughs> Man, yeah, you know, he's talking about things getting insane like that. I mean. You know, I know that Flair and Arn and Barry Windham and, and y'all and, you know, all those guys just, it was huge. Y'all were like rock stars, you know, all through the the late 70s and the 80s and the territory days. Uh, but even back then, I mean, could you have ever imagined, I guess on a, like a maybe a pop culture scale, more of an entertainment scale, that it would become what it became in the late nineties. Not really, Andrew. I mean, I, I, you know, I, you know, you know, you know yourself. I mean, when when you're starting out and you have visions, you have those dreams, and you have those personal goals. I mean, your goal is probably sell out Texas Stadium or you know every damn stadium you go to, you know, and be the headliner top of top of the top of the bill there. That, that was all of our goal. And you know, you know, if you're competitive, you know, you, you see somebody out there working or you know picking the tune, and I'm better now, I, you know. And you see, look around, and damn, you know, there's ten, twelve thousand. Well, I could put fifteen. If he can put twelve in there, I could. I could put 50. I mean, that's the attitude you got to have and possess if, if you're going to elevate yourself. You can't, well, yeah. I want to be on this milk guy and draw 5,000 people or 2,500 people, you know. Yeah. No, hell no. I want to be up here and draw 20,000 uh, seaters, you know. <laughs> and that's just the attitude that you you had to have during those days. So uh, it, it was, it's was quite, a, quite a journey, as you know. When, uh, I mean, in the late 90s, like when Steve Austin just freaking exploded that could did you ever imagine that it would get that insane that fast i never imagined the reaction that these guys were were, were going to get i mean you could you know you could you could always and and being around it on weekly and and almost a daily basis you could feel that momentum going and 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 that that ball start rolling Mm -hmm. but you know when, I, when we we worked Texas Stadium and there was 103,000, did I ever dream that there'd be 103,000? Did I ever dream that the business would be, like you say, pop culture now? I mean, you know, it's it's iconic. But I always thought we'd be big, and I always had that dream that we'd be big. But I don't think I ever, and I don't think I think anybody that ever uh, would tell you they they saw it otherwise. I think it'd be uh, telling you a fib there, but. Uh, you know, we always hoped for for that bubble to grow like that, but did you really believe it would get to, I, you know, no, I didn't. And when we draw on those 100,000, 80,000, 90,000 see arenas, you know, 
I would just, you know, first time, you know, I think I can't remember, I made it three when we went in that damn Pontiac Stadium. You know, we'd never, we'd been doing good. Okay, WrestleMania one was a success. WrestleMania two was, you know, pretty successful. Now we're going into a hundred thousand seat arena in Pontiac, Michigan. You got to be shitting me, brother. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, you that's... know, we weren't real financially sound at that time either. Yeah. So, you know, there was a lot of risk men to have taken, but that's the thing about him. He got those, those, those testicular fortitude, uh, grapefruits <laughs> that, you know, they had bounces his damn knees out of place. And he carries his hamstring, <laughs> carrying those damn things around, you know, but I'm going for it guys. And damned if he didn't make it work, but I never dreamed of anything like that. You know? Mm. Yeah. WrestleMania three was, I mean, that I, that's still the one. You know, when people are talking about pay-per-views, old wrestling pay-per-views and stuff, that's, that's I think, the standard. Yeah. Uh, I actually read the other day where a set of cards, and I probably got four or five sets of them up in my attic, and I don't even know what the hell they are, but I read the other day that a set of cards from WrestleMania 3, unopened, sold at an auction for $335,000. My God. Now, that's nothing to Mickey Mantle's card that sold today for like over $5 million. But, you know, these are the wrestling cards we're talking about. <laughs> Shit. That's insane. You know, $335,000 for a set of unopened WrestleMania 3 trading cards. I think it featured Hogan, Warrior, Andre, of course, and a couple of Macho Man and a couple of other guys on it. Oh, man. That's insane. That, that that that's the part of the business i i never imagined you know you're you're wearing that t-shirt there i, I don't know if you ever heard the story but the first wrestling t-shirt ever you know who it was mm -mm. it was the briscoe booster t-shirt briscoe brother booster t-shirt wow me and les thatcher you know who les is right yeah he, you know he's been around longer than i have he's out here like talking about your road man he's like coca-cola he's been everywhere you know he's he's, he's <laughs> been here forever so uh, we were traveling roadmates up to North Carolina. Well, it was back in our long hair and hippie days, and Rod Stewart was playing at Memorial Football Stadium there in Charlotte. So I had a little blue Mercedes convertible. We were down in Spartanburg on Saturday night, you know, 90 miles away from Charlotte. And we were, I was on last against Rip Hawk or somebody like that for the, for the Mid-Atlantic title. We wanted to get back in time to see oh, uh, so Rod Stewart, you know, we already had it set up where I could park in the back, park my car in the back and just run in the back through the backstage there back and uh, be right there by the stage. And so we, we get in that damn Mercedes. And of course, we got to stop and buy us a, a six pack to, to make that 90 mile trip in. So uh, uh, we, we get our six pack and we take off and we look at the clock, you know, and we had a promoter told us about 1135, he's going off and he ain't coming back on. So you bet you got to be here before that. So I got that, that damn blue mass Mercedes just pedaled as hard as it's <laughs> running about, man. We make it and Rod, it's about 1020. By the time I get my car in there, I get up there and we get the last tune of Maggie May, man, he's off the air, but. Leaving that damn concert, I'm noticing all these little girls running around with Rodster T-shirts on. Mm -hmm. I look at Thatcher and I said, Les, you notice anything on these girls? And he said, yeah, they're all young and beautiful. I said, yeah, but look what they're wearing. They're all wearing those damn T-shirts. Yep. Why don't we have T-shirts? 
Now, we're in North Carolina. Let's said, you know, we started talking about it and come, made a couple of road trips, a few more six packs, and more six packs. We got the bigger idea. We got, you know. <laughs> but we started a t shirt company. We went up to Burlington, North Carolina, where Haynes is, you know, the t shirt manufacturing thing. Right. We bought like 10 dozen of their seconds, you know, the, the shirts. We got them like for 25 cents a shirt back. And this is the 70s, early 70s, you know. Yeah. You know, there's nothing, 25 cents. And uh, and so, okay, now we got the T-shirts, you know, how are we going to get that image? He said, well, Jerry Lawler is a good friend of mine. Jerry's an artist. So, huh. we, okay, so we went around. We got Les. We got my brother and I. We got Andre the Giant. And we got Thunderbolt Patterson all to sign a contract that we can sell their concert uh, con, uh, uh, T-shirts at, uh, at, at venues across the Carolinas, you know. Wow. This is pre-events day, so. We went up and he, he contacted Les, contacted Lawler, and Lawler drew the artwork for us. We took it up to a, a screen printer up there. You got those T-shirts for for a quarter a piece, and you know had the free screening, had the free artwork from Jerry the King and Lawler, and we printed up those shirts and we started selling those things like hotcakes. It got to the point where. You know, now we're the great thing about the Carolinas in the summertime, they run all these little football stadiums and baseball stadiums, you know, and so they're all outdoor venues, hot, sweaty. So, yeah, we go to these venues, I'd load that little blue Mercedes up with boxes of damn t shirts, and Lester would have his van along behind us. We'd load them up, we'd go and find the, the prettiest girl with the best endowed girl we could find there and, and give her give her some t-shirts hey we'll give you free t-shirt if you'll if you'll stand by the table and just you know, <laughs> be there for us sure okay you know so we started selling t-shirts which is all no damn t-shirts so now it's getting winter time you know where you don't have the outdoor venue so richmond virginia is a really was a really big venue for us and, and uh, briscoe were, were bigger in hell there and thunderbolt patterson mm-hmm. so this is this is you know, like I said, the Rockers had already just started doing a T-shirt. So the, the venue, the, the bigger venues already had a system for it. So we didn't know about that system because we were just working on the ballparks. And we had Jimmy Crockett's permission that we could sell the shirt. So we didn't have to pay the, the venue any 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 money. Oh. But we started making so, so much money. All of a sudden, Jimmy Crockett come up and said, guys, you guys pay me a part of your T-shirt <laughs> sale. And then we go to Richmond. We want the venue to sell it. Well, you got to give us part of your T-shirt sales. So now yeah. our cost is getting up there, you know, and, 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 and with the bigger venues, the, the more T-shirts we had to get. And, you know, while I was working full-time trying to get to the top and less and done 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 his, uh, his time there in North Carolina and take it off. So it was just me. I had a two-bedroom apartment. I had one bedroom that was just stacked with boxes of T-shirts. So I'm by myself trying to figure this out. How the hell am I going to get? I went mm. to Bill after and I said, Bill, would you run me an ad in Racing Review? So after runs an ad and then those damn wrestling magazines for free, mind you. Wow. And I got Florida Championship in and their in in the program down here doing all over the state with the ad in there, too. And uh, and Crockett's running on, on, on his deal because he's getting a piece of the pie now. Yeah. Right now I got to go to Florida, so I can't take all my stock with me. So I would basically close down the business. But Les and I started the first T-shirt business and professional wrestling. 
Wow, that's something else. I mean, what what made that noggin just click like that when you saw them? Just seeing all those girls running around with that Rod Stewart T-shirt on and that seeing Briscoe image on their chest is <laughs> what made it click, you know. And oh, if they can do it, why can't we do it? It's the same old thing. If if you can put fifteen thousand people in there, why can't I put seventeen thousand people in there? Absolutely. It's just that damn. It was just a competitive nature, and you know, being a poor boy trying to figure out a different stream of income. Well, I can relate to that. Yeah, how, you're sitting there doing this podcast. Uh, exactly. <laughs> how'd y'all? How'd you get to Florida? As far as living there, what made well, you? Well, uh, here, here's a story on that. Jack, like I said, Jack was working uh, in uh, in Hughes or in Dallas for Fritz and uh, and Joe Scarpa, who turned out later on, uh, had it went from Italian to a to a. Pahuska Indian from Oklahoma and uh, turned into Jay Strongbow from Joe Scarpa. But uh-huh. when he was Joe Scarpa, Jack was down there as a rookie working, and Joe really liked Jack's look and the way he worked and the way he wrestled. Eddie Graham, the promoter here in Florida, was one of those guys. He had some kids and had, had some of his wrestlers, so he wanted them to learn how to am- wrestle amateur because you know we were that's what we were known for. So. Eddie, Eddie, uh, Joe hooked Eddie up with Jack and called, uh, called Jack, said, Jack, you want to come down here for I think I got a good spot for you. So Jack came down here and, of course, instantly got over with Eddie because he was coaching his son Mike and Bob Orton Jr. and some of those guys how to wrestle amateur, you know, and help him start the state amateur wrestling program down here. Then I come along and Bob Roop comes along, but the you know, Florida was just a great place, and I left, and I went up to Carolina. That's where I met my wife and got married up there. She's at Tar Hill, and uh, and then, but we came back to Florida. I went to Georgia and all that stuff. But you know, Florida is such a great place, you know, to live, and the weather is beautiful, and it's I just like living down here. So we just made that move out out of business uh, necessity, basically. It wasn't wasn't no 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 nothing really happened. It was just we got over, started making some money here. And we always, like I said before, we were always looking for different streams of revenue. So we started investing in real estate in the early 70s here in Florida, you know, and then uh, so it opened a body shop up, you know, and had it for like 40 some odd years and just started investing here. And pretty soon Tampa becomes our home instead of just a place to, to come and visit. Now, I had a buddy of mine right down the road from you on last week. Uh, from the Bellamy brothers, David Bellamy, you know him. Oh yeah, he's right up the road from me. Yeah, there's Bellamy Road right up the right up the street, from, probably about ten miles from where I'm sitting right now. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. He's he's uh he's he's they go all over the world still. It's amazing what they do. And they've uh, done so much here, community wise too. Here here in uh, here in this air Bay Area, you know, they're from Hernando County, just right. Like I said, just just less than 10 miles up the road, but every year, the day, except for the, you know, this year and, and last year with the COVID thing, they have a big Bellamy Brothers festival up there. And I mean, it's, it's turned into a big thing. Of course they play and they have a lot of their buddies come down and play on, on, on the show and everything. But uh, yeah, there's a road, Bellamy road, you know, I mean, you know what it's in, but they got a big ass range up there, Yeah, but they, yeah, they're, they're, they're great community guys too. That's what I like to see. They're, uh, I've been up there about five or six years ago. We wrote songs. I stayed up there for about a week. And, uh, well, you yeah, it's a real nice me. place. 
Well, hell, I should have. I didn't know you back then. If I had known you, I would have. Uh, I think, uh, is it Hulk that lives over there somewhere too? Yeah, he lives, uh, he lives over by the beach, uh, not too far from here. I was thinking it was him. I was, yeah. Yeah, Hogan, I mean, I'm right, right in this very little area where I live in a place called Keystone, Florida. Uh, Big Show lives down the road here. Chris Jericho lives across there. Dave Batista lives down there. Don Cena lives up here. I mean, there's, there's, there's a whole damn bunch of wrestlers living around this area. It's kind of a, a like a lake community where there's a bunch of uh, big and small lakes. And, uh, yeah, you know, we like the jet skis and the boats and play outside. And live in Florida, you got to do it. <laughs> we yeah. fight the alligators in the summertime. Huh? Oh, yeah. And hurricanes. Yeah, and hurricanes. See, we don't have hurricanes in Alabama. We got them damn tornadoes, though. Hell, you, you guys got hit more hurricanes this year in Florida did the last couple of years, I think. Yeah, I mean, down south. They can get some pretty good storm surges from them bad ones around Mobile yeah. and Gulf Shores, but we're all the way up here in the down. They don't make them up top to the hills there, do they? No, they, they got a pretty big mountain to climb. I don't know if they'll ever get there. Oh. Uh, I was, uh, me and my wife went to, before COVID hit, <clears throat> early last year sometime, Dustin Runnels is a, is a buddy of mine, and AEW came to uh, Huntsville, and we went and hung out with Dustin and Chris Jericho was there and everything. And uh, I was talking to Arn. He introduced me to Arn Anderson. And I was talking to Arn, and he said that him and Ric Flair and Barry Windham, um, gosh, five or six of them, used to ride their bikes up on Lookout Mountain to. Fort Payne and nobody ever knew. Uh, and they, he said that that was like a spot. I said, well, how'd you find that spot? You know, out of all the damn spots, he said, I don't know. I just <laughs> run the road, you know, but there's a little river Canyon up there around close to where, uh, Randy Owen from the band, Alabama and Teddy Gentry, both were close to where they live. Uh, there's Little River Canyon, and a lot of people will come up there, and they got DeSoto State Park, and I mean, I, you've probably been there and didn't even know it. <laughs> uh, there's an old theater in Fort Payne. They they used to have some wrestling matches, I think. Yeah, they did. I think <laughs> I think I wrestled there back in the in a in a either like '69 or '70 or something. I'm pretty sure I wrestled in Fort Payne. I mean, used to it was the sock capital of the world because there's so many damn sock mills, but uh-huh. now all that's gone after after the nineties. That pretty much went to overseas. Um, but and yeah, Arn Anderson, boy, he's got some stories to tell you, doesn't he? Oh yeah, well they were working, so I didn't bother him too much. But uh, Dustin just introduced me to him and took a picture of us. And Dust, Dustin, I've known him, of course, since he was, he was young, and I, I, I reminiscing today, I had to go, go, I had an appointment, and I was driving by, and uh, old Dusty Road, his old house, or one of, I think, the first house that he ever owned here in, 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 in the Tampa area, I passed by it today, and I, I started thinking, man, oh, man, all the parties that we used to have there were Dusty and his family, and uh, 
you know, all the guys that, 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 that are gone now. I mean, uh, you know, but D Dusty lived right down the road from me here. And Dream and I were, or and Jack, we were really tight. One, Dusty was actually, him and Dick Murdoch were some of the first people besides the funks that I ever met in this business and, and, and became friends with. Uh, uh, I met them in 1969 in, in Amarillo. Uh, both Dusty went out drinking with uh, Murdoch that night and learned learned how to be a West Texas cowboy real quick. That's <laughs> <laughs> watch out for flying chairs, man. <laughs> <laughs> you go in those honky tonks, you know, the roadway in with old, with old Murdoch, man. You knew there was going to be some fists flying before the before the last call came, <laughs> <laughs> and there were and. Uh, Terry, I saw Terry knock out two guys with one punch and then one of those little honky tonks there in, uh, Man. in, uh, in Amarillo. But uh, there were some fun times. Like you said, the way there was an innocent time where you could do stuff like that and nobody was going to sue your ass. And, you know, you wasn't, you're looking at going to jail or, yeah. or being on TMZ or yeah. anything like that. There's a saying, man, I'm glad I'm old because I did all my crazy shit when I was young, you know, <laughs> before <laughs> internet, you know. <laughs> Oh, Terry Fong, some of that man. stuff we did, if we tried to do that now, it'd be all over the TMZ and all of that stuff. Oh, yeah. We'd be blackballed for life. Yeah, it'd be canceled. Yeah. Uh, oh, Terry Funk, man, he's a crazy son of a bitch. I love... Uh, yeah, you know, crazy story on Terry. You ever met Terry? No, I never met him. You'd love him, man. He's just a kid. You know, meeting him in person, just like seeing him on TV. He's just a old Texas boy, just old, long, drawn out old Terry Funk. But uh, I had a, a crazy story with him down in Puerto Rico. We're wrestling, and uh, uh, Roberto Clemente calls him the 12,000 outdoor baseball field. And, and uh, uh, right outside of a I think it's a little place called Bayamon, right outside of San Juan there where the big baseball field is and it was packed and so I don't know if you ever played a Puerto Rican crowd man but they, you know on Saturday night they get into that little that, that rum you know and they, they get pretty salty down there it's like playing one of those little Alabama or West Texas places y'all on a Saturday night you know uh -huh. the Cowboys are juiced up and these Puerto Ricans they're juiced up and they they love the Briscoe because we had local TV from Florida down there. So well, you know we're we're the main guys that they see on TV down there. So we're wrestling against those dastardly egg sucking dogs, the Funk Brothers. <laughs> and so man, here we go. So we go out to the ring first. Here comes the Funk Brothers, and right at the right at the warm up where the batter takes warm up, there's a little gravel pit where the guys can stand in there and take batting practice, swinging, you know, just to get them to get their footing right. I see Terry reached down. He grabbed a handful of that gravel, uh. elbow jack, and he said, "Be watch out." So Terry's getting closer to the uh, ring, closer to the ring, and there's a sea of Puerto Ricans. The police are just pushing out of the way there. Finally, Terry gets up closer. Hey, damn Briscoe, brother! He takes it there. Jackson duck. About that time, he throws that handful of gravel. We duck, and it peppers the front row ringside. <laughs> <laughs> all those drunk ass Puerto Ricans are up, and we, the bell had him ring it, and, and Terry Funk started a full scale riot. <laughs> now we gotta get through the riot before we could have the damn match, and the promoter wanted the match, of course. You know? Oh man! And Terry's all bloody and beat up, and everything. We're in there, you know, and we're and 
before the finish of the match, here they come again. Terry's got us out <laughs> beating on us, and uh, uh-uh, yeah, that ain't gonna happen. We uh, had to fight two times. We had to fight away out of the ring in one damn night with Terry Funk. <laughs> oh man, he was now, a ball to be around, man. You you uh you worked pretty closely with Vince when you got hired by the WWF. Of course, you worked there a long time, thirty something years, didn't you? Yeah, I was 36 years, and I was I, I, somehow I ended up, you know, being Vince's uh, go-to guy there, you know, and he, he had very few of them, you know. In those well, days. he trusted you. I think it was because, you know, like I said before, the relationship that we had, you know, when when we were younger, you know, and I, I was I'd never really asked him for anything, and he knew, you know, I was 100% business. I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna BS him so well. Uh, yeah, I think it's because, you know, I've known him long and I think he trusted me, like you say, and, and uh, we were able to. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I've become, like I said, I, I was one of his traveling mates and uh, back before the, the, the Learjet and the Gulf Streams and all that stuff. You know, even then, you know, when he got all that stuff, I was still sitting there beside him on those damn jet planes. I remember watching that Montreal Screwjob and. <laughs> Uh, of course, didn't really know the whole thing until later when it was talked about and analyzed and picked apart. Um, but whenever y'all got Shawn Michaels out of there, did did you did you know what was going to happen? Did I mean pretty I've much, heard pretty much knew everything was going to happen. I mean it was pretty much uh, everything that happened. We pretty much went over events and I went over for the, the night before. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and, and I'm telling you something that probably hadn't been said. I don't think I've said it anyway, you know, but I, you know, I, I, Bret Hart and I, we, we met at fences and, and I respect the hell out of him. He's great. One thing that, that does irritate me occasionally, uh, brother is, uh, well, I knocked Vince McMahon out with one punch. Well, Vince and I, the night before had talked about it. He said, "What what do I do if because we're we're talking about our 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 exit route, you know, after this thing and through how we're gonna what what we need to do." My number one concern was getting Earl Hebner out of there safely. Yeah. That was my number one number one thought was getting getting Earl out and then getting Shawn Michaels in a safe place. I knew if I got Shawn in the backstage, where uh, Paul was, Triple H was, and where. Uh, Kevin Nash was and more X-Pac. I knew, I knew he would be safe. So I knew all I had to do was get him in their hands and I could, I could focus on that. But Earl was the main one I was concerned about. So I got Earl out. Then, then I got, I went back and I wanted to get uh, Sean out and I got Sean out and Sean was walking. He was carrying the belt in front of him and they were, all, they were throwing shit out. I said, Sean, put the belt over your head. like that. So, he put the head the old stuff about so stuff about off the belt and set off off his damn head. So I got him to safety, and then I you know I I, I got to get Vince to a safe place. And Jr. I mean Jr. didn't I didn't I mean bless Jr. and some of the guys Jr. didn't have a clue what was going on. Nobody really knew except me and Vince. You know what was what was going down, and and so. I would finally, you know, like I said, the night before in, in, the, in the meeting after the, the post-production meeting when Vince and I met privately and went over all this stuff, we went over every possible scenario that that could possibly happen. One of them was Vince taking a uh, taking a shot. And, and I said, number one, Vince, you, you just, you got to take it. 
I mean, they're, you know, you can't fight back. You, it's a no-win situation. You just got to stand there. And, and if he wants to get physical with you, you're, you're 10 years older than him, you got to stand there and take, take it. Yeah. But then I started worrying about the wild card in the thing, and that wild card was Shane McMahon. Mm. Now he got someone standing there and what's it, what's this guy punched your daddy out, you know? So I went to Sergeant Slaughter and, and Tony Gurria and I put those two guys, I put Sarge, uh, Sarge, you're, you're the main guy, you're 330 pounds. He, he can't get past you if, if you don't want him to. I said, yeah. you don't want him to get past you because, you know, <laughs> something's going to happen. So, so we go in, we finally, finally get it and everybody's banging on the, the office dressing room door and inside that door is me jim ross bruce pritchard and vince mcmahon so i take jim and i lock him in a bathroom i said you don't come out of that bathroom don't unlock <laughs> the door until you hear my voice again because i didn't want jr to to get blamed for anything because he right. didn't have a clue what was going down i wanted one of them videos so Undertaker's there, and he said, "You got to come down." I, I went to the door, and, and he'd bang on Vince's door. You guys got to come down or uh, and talk to the guys. So, but making that walk, finally, I got everybody coordinated. I got Bruce, and you know, Bruce is taking off his Rolex and all that stuff, and loosening his tie, and taking his tie off in case you know it gets a little physical in there. And uh, and I, I get started with with uh, with Shane, and we we walk that walk. And that walk from Vince to Dredd, it's all the way to the end of that Montreal uh, Forum or whatever the building we were in there. Uh, and it's all the way to the other end to the hockey dressing room. So we walk down there and the, and the hallways are just lining with people that hate us and despise us and are spitting on us and cussing us and doing everything in the world You know, while we're making that walk. Finally, we get in the dressing room. When we get in the dressing room, uh, one of the guys, I think it's Taker, gets up. He runs everybody out of the dressing room except for Sean, uh, Triple H, and and the office guys that I brought in there, and Brett, of course, and 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 we're the only guy sitting in the dressing room. And of course, what Brett said was true. You know, if you're not out here by the time I get through the shower, I'm gonna knock the shit out of you. So. Vince just sets down, wait for him to get out of the shower so he can blow it all off. You know, I mean, now you got to give Vince credit. Vince knew what was coming, you know, and because we had talked about it. And the only thing we didn't talk about, the only thing we didn't realize Brett was going to do when he destroyed the set and spit on Vince. That Mm. was the only thing in our conversation that we didn't think that would happen. happen. Everything else kind of went down because we threw out about. 25, 30 different scenarios that we both thought would happen, you know, and out of all of them, bits and pieces out of just about every one of them happened. So Brett ran back and he nailed Vince and a man, I I mean, what a shot. He and Vince's hands are down at his side, you know, just not not in a defensive position, but just standing there waiting for it, hands down the side, knowing it's coming. He nailed him right in the temple. Mm-hmm. We're in the one of those hockey dressing rooms, like, and in those hockey dressing rooms, you know, those skaters have those uh, hockey have those skaters, so there's like pallets in there. So yeah, you know, you know, the, the floors are not 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 really stable. So he goes down, and a funny thing about it, and he still this day bitches to me about it. I'm you know now there, there's a big scrum because he goes down and Brett dives on top of him, but we're real allowed Brett one hit, but that's all he's going to get. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. getting more bits, you know, <laughs> free anyway. Yeah. So we all go down, we try to separate in the scrum. 
So in in in, in the melee of, of 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 breaking that little scrum up, I step on one of the pallets, and my foot slides over, and I step on Vince's ankle and break Vince McMahon's damn ankle. <laughs> <laughs> the process and turn my knee where it blows out my damn knee. You know, and I got to get a knee replacement soon. And I'm still blaming to getting a knee replacement on that, on what took place. But I broke Vince's ankle by stepping on him. He still said, biggest damage I got was damn Briscoe's fat ass stepping on me and breaking my ankle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's man. a little humor in a whole situation. Oh, man. Did, did you ever think that that? make amends and he'd be back on raw yeah i sure did i mean you know i mean i because uh, number one brett is it is you know brett's a great guy i mean he had to, you know he, he had every right to be pissed off but you know what we did what was right for the business i mean brett and and and, and I, I know i'll probably get heat saying that but i'll hell him i said brett brett hart's old man was a promoter yeah he ran a territory up in God-forsaken Northwest fucking Canada, excuse my language, Canada, you know, where nobody wanted to go. So he had to fight like hell to get guys to come up there. Now, what would have happened with, with Brad if Brett would, uh, you know, uh, should want Brett to take a title? And that's this guy I said, no, I'm not going to drop the title. I'm going to leave and go to another place that's paying yeah. me $3 million, and I'm going to take your title with me. I mean, yeah. what, what would happen? Still right. would take the damn guy down in the dungeon and break his damn arm. What would happen? You know. So that was the thing I really did understand. You know, the Brett's background in the business and knowing how hard as a promoter it is to establish something. You know, and uh, and we we're right at the point where we were getting ready to bust open, and you know, and he's saying, "No, you're not getting your title back." You know, and so you know, yeah. it, it had to go down like it went down. Yeah, and like you said, too, I mean, y- y'all was right at that breaking point where the Attitude Era was about to really just take off. So for him to be in the business f- as long as he had, I-, I don't really understand either. I know it's a pride thing and all that, but there's a bigger picture, I feel like, that outlasts you know, the individual characters. And it's for whatever's good for the whole business. He should have understood, I think, that, you know, y'all couldn't take a chance on giving him what he was wanting. Because to me, that I would have done the same thing. You know, I would have I would have done the same thing. I, you're not you're not taking our belt over there. They're already kicking our ass, yeah. you know, but y'all was about to come out ahead. And I yeah, don't see I, how he I didn't get there. I believe his old man would have done the same damn thing too, you know, if, if, if it come down to his, to his territory, you know, the guy walking out on him. And I mean, I, I'm sure that wasn't the first thing uh, time something like I think Cornette come up with something that happened back with Gotch or one of those guys like that, where, where you know somebody wouldn't drop the title and they they did a screw job, put a, put a ring or so to say in <laughs> against it. Man. It's just a bunch of crazy shit happened yeah. behind the scenes that you didn't really know when you was watching it back in the nineties, you know? Yeah. It was a stressful night. That night, my phone did not stop ringing. We actually stayed there. And then, like I said, this was this before the pre days of the corporation, the corporate, uh, corporate jets and all that stuff. So we had to drive the next day to Ottawa, Montreal to Ottawa was about four hours. You talk about a tense drive. Now, I'm with, mm. I'm with, uh, 
Jim Ross, who didn't have a clue what was going on, that was pissed off because he was head of talent relations and nobody bothered him for him. But we didn't want him in the middle. We wanted him to be able to say, guys, I didn't know what was going on and be honest about it. So we didn't, we didn't smart know. Bruce Pritchard, who was production manager, he didn't know. And he, you know, he probably shouldn't know. Pat Patterson and myself, we're in this car. We're driving four hours from Montreal to uh, Ottawa. And man, we all load up in that car, and it's like it's like you're on the way to a funeral. I mean, you know, just everybody just sitting there, you know. Mm. Guys, this can go on for four hours, you know. So, uh, Tim Horner, whatever the name of that place, donut show. Hey, man, let's pull over Tim Horner's there and get get some uh, get some uh, coffee and donuts, you know. And so, we pulled over and got our donuts and coffee, and, and got back on the road. We had old donuts, and everybody's still sitting there. Finally, JR said, All right, who in this car knew what the hell was going on last time? Pat said, I didn't know a thing. You know, nobody told me nothing. Everybody said, I said it. I don't know nothing. Bruce, oh, <laughs> I didn't know nothing. I'm so damn pissed off. Whoever did that said, I didn't know nothing. I'm still sitting there. All of a sudden, I feel those eyeballs on me. All right, uh-huh. Bruce, you hadn't said anything. <laughs> you know, these are my best friends. These are guys you know you're on the road with every damn night. Yeah. All right, guys, I'm gonna tell you. I said, Do you remember last night when Vince broke up the production meeting? And he said, uh, okay, everybody, let's have a good night. And he said, Bristol, you mind you stand back and talk to me for a few minutes? I gotta go uh, digress back to that. That night he told me that. I'm thinking in my mind, brother. What the hell did I do? Why, why is he? Why is he mad at me? You know, because he usually when he asks you to stay out of production, you're going to get fired or you're going to get your ass chewed out. You know? Yeah, <laughs> that's 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 the only reason he tells you to stay out of production. He can throw you do one or two things. So I'm in my mind just racing that night. What the hell did I do? I know I hadn't done anything. You know, I've been a good boy. You know, <laughs> hell, I you know I I don't know why. And so I was sure on so. And I see him get up, you know, everybody gets out of the room. We're in this big damn conference room. He walks to the very back or, or the bathroom back there. He opens the door, looks in the bathroom, doesn't see anybody there. There's a back door. He, he locks the damn back door. Now my mind's really racing. You know, what's that crazy son of a bitch walking with man? He's locking his door. There's a bathroom in the front. He walks over to that bathroom, opens the door, looks in, closes it, walks over to the front door, and bolts that damn thing. Mm. And I said, holy shit, uh, you know, <laughs> I must have really done something. They come over and sits down, and he starts laying out the, the, the situation to me, what he feels, uh, you know, we should do and how I felt about it. And if I was uh, being an assistant wow. to that night. So, Man. you know, I agreed. Uh, he laid the whole story out, and I, I you know, I questioned him on a, on everything I could possibly think of that night, you know, on, on why and uh, the alternatives ever why did you guys change the match said, well hell if we'd change the match we put ken shamrock or undertaker out there undertaker all you had to do is put me out there and i would he wouldn't have beat me i mean sure he wouldn't have, but he would have known something was on and would he have yeah. gone out there and had the match is, is yeah. the question you know, all these great writers and schemers you know why didn't you put shamrock out shamrock would have killed him yeah but brett would have known you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah Kind of and it wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't have gone to the ring. He would have had some excuse. So, <clears throat> excuse me. The only choice we had was to go on with what was written and how it was written and just change the, the ending of it a little bit, you know? Yeah. 
Did, did you and Vance ever write uh, shows together? You ever Many done of them, yeah. Yeah, it was a challenge all the time because we would, and it wasn't just me and Vince alone. I mean, I, I we, I mean, it was, it was basically a group that was his, 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 his go-to people were J.R., Pat, myself, and uh, that was basically it. And, uh, you know, that was with him constantly that he wanted to travel with and discuss all types of business and his vision of going public and his vision of growth. I mean, I, I, you know, everything that they're doing now, I heard all this shit in his mind in 1986, you know, like that he saw all this stuff, Andrew. That's the amazing thing about that guy. He, he visualized all this stuff. Happen. Did I ever think it'd happen like that? Hell no. But you know, he told me what was going to happen and it damn sure happened. You know, that's amazing part of it. It really is. I mean, he's a visionary. Yeah, oh. he certainly is. And, uh, you know, but uh, that trip, finally, I, when I started telling everybody, you know, that I knew, and, and then, then they all got pissed off, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> well, I couldn't. I mean, I didn't even tell Earl Heaven or the referee until seconds before he was going into the damn ring. And then I thought I was going to have to fight him to get him to do it. You know, because yeah. Earl, Earl was loyal. I mean, Earl was loyal to Brett, but, you know, he was also well had to pay his mortgage also. <laughs> yeah. He knew what he had to do to pay his mortgage. Yep. Uh, I felt bad for Earl. The one I really felt bad for was Earl Hedner because he, Earl had kind of given uh, Brett his word, you know, that you know mm. that he wouldn't do anything. But when faced with a situation of your family or, or you know, and, and support of your family or, or support somebody else's leaving, leaving your place and take uh, going down and making uh, $3 million, you know, is he going to send your mortgage payment to you? I don't think so. You know, so yeah. you know, Earl made the right decision. Uh, back when I first started trying to go up to Nashville and write with some of those, you know, hit songwriter guys, uh guy that was managing me at the time kind of hooked me up with some of them and <clears throat> we didn't really write anything with any substance, but I learned how to write and how not to write. And being in a room with somebody that you have chemistry with, you know, it's one thing to bounce ideas off each other and best idea wins or whatever. And then some guys are like, no, I don't like that. Like, automatic, just shoot it down before they even hear it. Because if it ain't their idea, then it ain't good enough. Yeah. And I, I had situations with all kinds of that. I mean, all kinds of people like that. But... I can't imagine being in a room with Vince McMahon, you know, just so all over the place. His mind's everywhere trying to write TV. Uh, I can't imagine what that's like. I mean, it's got to well, be. I, I can just, just lay it out to you. We, we'd meet at Vince's house, and we, you know, we'd, do, we'd work out on the patio when we'd meet at Vince's house, and usually it was a nice day, so. You know, there'd be, be about, about the crew that I sometimes, Jim Cordette was there sometimes, uh, other guys would be there that he'd just want other opinions on, you know, and, and so, uh, but the, the base crew was, was, was the guys that I, I, I keep mentioning the Rosses, the Pattersons, the Pritchard and myself, we were the main guys that went, it was so frustrating because we get, we finally, you get all the BS, you know how it is, you go down to a creative session, you know, you gotta be, you gotta get all that BS out of your mind, just clear yeah. your mind with all the BS. So, We'd yeah. have about 30 minutes at BS session and just get it cleared out of our mind so we could start taking care of business. Finally, we get down to start taking care of business. 
you know, we, we got we got 11 segments, say, to fill. So my first segment, okay, we go through and get get our matches in order, and then you got to write all the fluff stuff around it, you know, all the all the pre tape, all the yeah. inserts, and all that BS. So, you know, we we get our base matches down. Okay, what's going to build to that last match in segment eleven? What are we going to do in segment one to get us to segment eleven? And what are we going to do in segment six to keep them to segment eleven? So you're writing all that stuff. You get rolling along, you get a good flow going. All of a sudden. Vince's housekeeper, Mr. McMahon, you got a phone call. Yeah. And went, oh, shit. You know, there yep. goes your train of thought. Vince, go yep. in hour and a half on a damn telephone. Well, what are we doing? We can't go on because we know <laughs> if we go on, as soon as we go on, we could, we could, we could go on and finish the damn show. But he's going to walk out of there. And the very next thing he sees that he don't remember suggesting or, or, or agreeing to, he will know, you know, there, and then the end of the rest of your show is screwed up. So we'd have to wait that hour and a half, come back out, and then refresh him on why we were at segment five and what we're doing at segment five so we could continue on from six to 11 or whatever. Yeah. It was a pain, but, you know, the guy, the guy was spot on on most of his changes and stuff like that, especially during that time and when we, when we were getting ready to pop open, you know. He loved being Mr. McMahon, even though he hated going on TV. He loved that character because that was his inner character, you know. But oh, that, that was really nothing like it. Just like the Stooges were nothing like Patterson Eye's real personality. Yeah. Do you think that Eric Bischoff on WCW, you know, being the bad guy boss, kind of made Vince kind of want to bring that out in him? You, think uh, you know, that's a good point. I had never been asked that question, but yeah, I definitely think it does because he saw what Eric was doing and the arrogance that, that, that Eric and I, by the way, had lunch with Eric yesterday and I, you know, and uh, it would be asking a little bit about, about those days, but I, I really think it was a, it was a challenge to Vince and then, and, you know, just the attitude that I, we were talking about at the very beginning of, the, of this, of this thing, uh, you know, knowing that you can do it better, you know, and, and Vince always had that attitude. And, and, you know, Eric was great, and Eric did a great job, and Eric Eric, Eric Eric gets blasted a lot, but, you know, Eric was a sharp businessman, and he knew he knew how to strike, and he knew how to use Ted Turner's money, you know, and he did. Yeah, yeah he did. Uh, yeah, he's a good friend of mine. He actually did the first show. Uh, the, my first right. pod, my first episode he did. Um, I wish I'd known that yesterday when I had lunch with him. We could have talked about it a little bit. Yeah, it's uh, it was it was good. He's we're gonna do part he's two. A, he's in Huntsville right now. He left today. Is I he? Think, Huntsville to meet with Conrad Thompson up there. Okay. Um, yeah, I stayed when I was in tour, on tour. I stayed with him and Lori out there and Cody overnight, and uh, real nice people. Yeah. Uh, and he's, yeah, he's, he's up in uh, Air, uh, Wyoming now, living up in there. Yeah, up Cody, Wyoming. Yep. Yeah. Almost in Montana. He loves it there. Oh, it's he gorgeous it up there. Yeah, I've never been there. He invited me up. I, I'm going to take him up all ways. Well, hell, now you've got to have been there at some point. You've nice. been everywhere. Uh, I, you know, the only place I've been, I've been to Laramie, but I've never been, you know, I've never been to Jacksonville. And we're talking about surges and all that stuff. You know, he, he didn't go, of course, this year, but, you know, he said he kind of grown out of it. <laughs> the yeah. place to be. You, uh, you still keep in touch with Vance now? Pardon? You still keep in touch with Vance? 
Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I you know, of course, when Pat passed away uh, yeah. a few weeks ago, we're, we're, we're talking quite a bit, you know, just uh, talking memories and, you know, some of Pat's uh, requests and things like that. And then uh, I've known Vince a long time. I was with him 36 years as, as an employee, as somebody working by his side. And, and I've seen, you know, through the years, unfortunately, I've seen a lot of guys, you know, that's, that's, that's passed on and how it's affected that. But uh, when Pat, I think this, this is one that, that that's hit him the hardest so far. You know, I mean, he was, I mean, we'd look at each other and both of us just well up. I mean, it was, a, we, we would have tried, try and he sent me a text the next day after I was over for the tribute show. Sorry, I, I, I couldn't, we couldn't talk last night. He said, but every time we looked at each other, I, I started well with my guy. He said, I, I, I would have broken up. Mm. And so Pat's passing, I think, affects me more than any, anybody I'd ever see. Mm. Well, he was right there, I mean, the whole time, just like you The was. whole time. And I mean, he, he had to, Pat had that relationship. I mean, Pat is uh, Stephanie's godfather. I don't know if you knew that. I've heard now, that, Pat yeah. is Stephanie's godfather, so. Pat was there, of course, with the old man, you know, for years, you know, before Junior took over. And so, uh, and, uh, you know, everybody loved Pat, you know. And so, I mean, if you're around Pat, Pat spent five minutes with you and you think he was your best friend you ever had in your life. And, and you know what? He turned out to be that way for me. But uh, yeah. he was just a genuine person and somebody that you could trust and talk to. And and he helped. He, you know, you talked about earlier that, that the manager had, you know, trying to teach you how, how guys, certain guys have that ability to teach you how to do business, to teach you how to write a song, teach you how to put that next note on the paper. Pat Patterson was that guy to me. Pat Patterson taught me, taught me how to do business with Vince McMahon, and it, 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 it it's an art to do business with him because. I'm a, I'm a stubborn old oaky and I'm I'm a, I get fired up. I'm native Indian and a Native American. I get fired up, man, and I get pissed off and I and I blow up and I I say the wrong things. I mean, I'm you know I'm I'm human, you know. And Pat, you know, Pat, I after after I do one of those blow up things, you know, just get up and walk away. Pat would say, Briscoe, you know, this is the way you this is the way you should have handled that. Pat taught me <laughs> how to how to survive with Vince. Yeah. And he did a hell of a job with it because I survived for 36 years with it. But Pat taught me how to put a finish together. Pat taught me how to tell stories and, and put and finish together because I was just a wrestler. You don't go in and you wrestle your match. You go out and you play your, your tunes and all that stuff. But the key to it is being able to, to take it from up here and put it on paper, then go out there and, 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 and play that song the way you intended it to do. And yeah. we do the same thing when we're building matches. It starts up here. It goes here, and then it comes out of here. And when it comes out of here, all those people sitting out there watching you and listening to you pick and play, they can feel what feel it coming out of here. Right. But it's got to start somewhere, and it starts up here. And Pat told me taught me how to put it up here and get it to come out of here, and I, I, I'll, I'll forever appreciate that. Um, how, are you you still pretty healthy? You had any issues? Yeah, I'm unfortunate. Knock on wood. I'm doing. I'm getting ready. I'm doing all my January's my heart month. You know, I, I've I've done a couple of tests already. Did one today, and so far, you know, everything's uh, pieces and cream. You know, I got two more to go, and uh, before he gives he gives me a clearance for another seventy five years. You know, so 
Brisk, but I, you... I'm blessed, you know. I, 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 you know, wear my mask. I, you know, my wife and I, we, 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 we make sure that we, we, we follow the proper protocol. We're, we're, you know, we're both, we're both in that age group that, you know, we, we don't want to take any chances. I mean, I had, am I going to stop my life and just live a solitary? Hell no, I'm not, not built that way. But, yeah. You know, we're going to enjoy ourselves, but we're going to do it in a safe manner. There's ways to enjoy yourself and you can still be safe. And I feel like we're practicing that way, you know. And uh, and I get out and give a shout out to my good buddy, Mick Foley. I hope you get better. He, he come down with COVID, doing a virtual meet and greet. Hmm. Now, I get that, you know. And uh, and he's, he's been quarantined now and he's on the end of his quarantine, but Mick get better. And, and but Mick Mick has been a good advocate of you know staying safe and wearing a mask and and, and all that stuff and uh, we need more people like him. I think Mick Foley is too nice for the wrestling business. You know you got a point there. You know there are guys like that and Mick is one of those genuine guys. I mean what a sweetheart of a guy. I mean you know he he is just he'd do anything for you. I mean. He, he, he and he does it. I mean, some of these guys that are hit hard times. I mean, uh, I'm not. Uh, I'll say it because Rip Rip said Rip Rogers. Rip Rogers needed a set of teeth, and Foley. I mean, Foley just barely knows who Rip Rogers is. But what <laughs> Foley do? He writes out a check for five uh, five grand and sent down and, yeah. and gets him a set of teeth. I mean, there's stories like that, you know, all over the place that. Nobody knows about, but this is the type of philanthropy that that Mick Foley does, and what he has in his heart. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a sweetheart of a man. Yeah, he's become a friend of mine over the past few years. Uh, I actually caught his one of his last comedy shows before he ended up having to cancel his tour. And wow. man, what a show! It was in Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, and we went up, and then we went to Waffle House and eat afterwards. And <laughs> who picked uh, up the town? uh i think i did i think i think i I think i offered to but we had uh he he did a he did a record with shooter jennings which shooter is a good friend of mine um and he did a record uh christmas uh saint mick something i can't remember he loves santa claus yeah it's it was some some kind of i think he was reciting christmas poems or something or stories or something but anyway, he did it on Shooter's label a few years ago. So uh, I met Mick through Shooter and his uh, manager, Adam. Uh-huh. And uh, man, we... Well, actually, I was doing a show with Shooter at the Nashville Palace, and he was going to be at Zany's the same night. And we went and had lunch, had barbecue one day, and he was going to come over after the show, but Jeff Jarrett and uh, the a couple... Uh, can't remember the country duo one of the new country duos he's friends with they came over in the green room afterwards hanging out and he had to catch a flight back or something i think he was going to memphis for something the next day or something but uh he didn't get to make it out to the to our show but yeah he's i've known him for a few years now and he 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 uh he's always been real nice and real kind you know uh he loves my music loves country music he's about like me and you you know which is weird. Most people probably wouldn't think that. No, one one thing that, that was, you know, when you hit on the subject, my brother was was amazed. Mick met my brother, and uh, first thing they they had in common that uh, kind of bonded them was country music. 
Yeah. And then after that, Jack just respected the heck out of me because he was he was a guy. Look, he there's no way he's a country music fan, you know. And next yeah. year started naming some of his favorites and singing along with Jack. And Jack loved the kind of loved country music. Loved to loved to drink a few beverages and 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 shout out the lyrics with everybody else, you know. And so him and him and Mick became friends. That, that kind of shocked me too because Jack and Mick were totally different types of characters, you know. Yeah. Well, Briscoe, you better stay your ass healthy because we need you around for a long time. Well, brother, same to you when you're out there, man. Just stay healthy. And, uh, you know, I can't tell you, I, you know, my wife, you know, she always laughs at me. She says, what are you in there talking on that phone for? I'm doing one tonight. I'm really looking forward to it. I've been, Andrew, I've been looking forward to this ever since you and I hooked up. And, you know, we, we we started playing this about a year ago, and we're just now getting to it. You know, and uh, and I really appreciate you, you know, listening to my old stories. You know, I'm a, I'm an old oh. man, and old people love to tell their old stories. And who's going to tell them? Who's going to who's going to fill those shoes? Like they say, yeah, you know, yeah. There are people like you is going to fill those shoes. You know, people people like. Uh, you know, some of these young, young guys coming up nowadays, you know, uh, the, I got some guys over there at NXT that, you know, uh, they're more than capable. That's, that's something I'm really proud of is, you know, is, you know, looking for those guys to fill the shoes, you know, and, uh, yeah. and it takes a certain type of guy to, to get, to get the attention of, of the masses that, that are, that, that are capable of putting them in, in that position. And, and I feel like, you know, through my scouting, through my college connections and everything, I, I, I've brought some uh, top caliber people, not only talent, but people to the, to the, to the, to the company, you know, that, sure. that I can look up at down the road here and say, you know, he was, he, uh, I, they call themselves the Briscoe boys, you know, all the wrestling guys I bring, they're the Briscoe boys and they're, they're a tight group, you know, and I'm proud of each and every one of them. You know, Otis, you know, the big star now, Otis. Here's one of my guys I got out of college wrestling. When I saw him in college wrestling, did I ever think he'd be the huge star that he started into? No, but I knew he'd be a character. I knew he'd be a star because he had that sense, such special personality and that character to him. So that's the reason. He was the last guy I put on my list to come down to NXT. He was the first guy out of that, that group I brought down to get hired. You know? So wow. little do I know, you know, what, 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 what's going to make the appeal. But, you know, I got a few guys down there now. I got a guy, I got a kid from Duke University that's uh, that can be a, can be the next insert, whatever name you want to insert there. Mm. I mean, we got some, we got some good, good kids on that NXT. And I love to see that. I love to see it when when they get that call and they, they leave NXT and go that next level up there. That excites me as much as winning a, winning a title or winning a belt now, you know, because that's my reward and that's that's my payback for all the good times and yeah. and all the blessings that I had in this business is it's trying to find those next guys and give them that opportunity that I was given, you know. And and it's strange, you know. A lot of people really don't know how to get to that next step, but I'm there to answer their questions and be their friend and be their mentor and try to guide them there. And, you know, I'm proud of all these kids. And I'm, I'm proud of the kids that, that make it there that I didn't have anything to do with, you know, but, you know, the, the, you, you got, you got to have that next group, you know, there's got to be another guy come along or, you know, your, your business goes stale and, you know, you go, you go to the bottom and, 
We right. don't intend to, to drop anywhere. That's great that you're still involved with that, still have such, I mean, I know you have a passion for it. You know, I can just tell by listening to you talk and looking at you. Uh, God bless you, man, for helping these young kids out, giving them a platform. My God, you know, we talk about being their friend. What a friend to have in you. I mean, especially well, I for those guys. That. I appreciate that, man. You know, and I feel the same about you, man. I, when you asked me to come on, like I told me, you told you before, I was thrilled to have to tell my wife all day. I can't wait, you know. So I enjoy this, man, you know. And, uh, and let's, let's, you know, uh, let's hope that, you know, soon that we can, you can be on that stage uh, picking. I can be out on that audience hollering at you. Hey, sing this one, you know, or sing this one. <laughs> no, hell, I'll get you up on stage and sing with me. I'll let you leave you with a quick story about getting me up on stage. You know, Willie Nelson, I mean, we, were, you know, we went to Gonzales, Texas in 1972 or 74. I can remember one of those years. Gonzales, you know, uh, uh, just started. My brother, Dusty Road, myself, and an old country picker here that the Belden brothers probably know, Captain Lewis, had the bull roper man here with Dusty's backup man when he would go up on stage and sing. But anyway, we all went out to Gonzales, Texas, the first Willie Nelson Fourth of July picnic out there. And uh, it's about three o'clock in the morning. We're all drunk out. One of the old uh, Captain Lewis, he has a, a a fifth of damn uh, JD tied to his tie, tied to his ankle, so he won't lose it. You know, <laughs> walking through that <laughs> mud and everything. About three o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden we look up on the stage. We hear this. Song. You don't have to call me darling, darling, and uh-huh. David Allen Efren Cole, you know, come yeah. on and say <laughs> at three o'clock in the morning. I never seen a place come to life quicker than that in all my life, man. And, and uh, three verses, I mean, two verses, he had everybody on their damn feet singing along. And I mean, you forgot what time it was. We pulled that bottle off of Captain Lewis's ankle there. We finished that there jug of, of jack and uh and made it through the rest of the night ray price had to follow that shit oh know? man <laughs> that's great yeah but, uh, but anyway i was getting to my story so dusty Rhodes thought he was a singer oh. so we were friends with willie because we, we you know we'd run into willie everywhere and, uh, yeah we'd always like hanging with us because we we're crazy like he was so <laughs> yeah and, you know i you know dusty was the only one to want to get up there and sing with willie because dusty always visioned himself as a singer and there's a concert story that i don't have time to tell because my phone's running out but anyway so uh, of course you know well, the circle be unbroken willie brings all every anybody that want to out on the stage and sing with him yeah. So he brought Dusty over here in Lakeland, Florida, to Lakeland Civic Center. And he's hitting that, you know, circle being broken. And all of a sudden, Dusty rode the American Dream. The place explodes, of course. And Dusty gets there. Mickey and you know, they're all singing. And Dusty just shouting the word out. And when he comes off stage at the end of the set, he looks at me. He said, Briscoe, that dream can't sing worth a damn. <laughs> <laughs> and I never did tell Dusty that. I didn't want to break his heart. You know? <laughs> uh, that's great. Good to see you, man. Good to talk to you. Damn, good to listen to you tell stories. Glad we glad you came on. Glad we did this, man. Thank you, brother. Let's do it again. Let's do it, man. Uh, you've been listening to Picking It Out, and we'll see you next time.